That's lovely. Try not to knock it. I'm going to take a short-ish passage from the first chapter of John's Gospel. Um, So in case you want to look it up later, I'm starting at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You may possibly be able from that to gather what I'm speaking about. Um... It's rather lovely, actually, because uh, when Evan chose Amazing Grace last week at this service, uh, I was joking to Tony that it should have been today instead, because I knew what I was speaking on. Um, And he quite rightly said, it's a song we could sing every Sunday. So we did. Thanks, Mel. Um, In the same way, we could speak about the grace of God every Sunday and never get to the end. So 20 minutes is going to be pushing it a bit. People have tried to come up with lots of definitions of grace, haven't they? Um, If you look at good old Matthew Henry in his commentary, he talks about the goodwill of God towards us and the good work of God in us. Um, Some people use the acronym God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. And often it's simply described as God's unmerited favour towards us. Well, God's grace, like himself, it's eternal. But there is a sense for us in which it has a bit of a timeline because we, at the moment, live within time. So there's what we could call past grace. That's the grace that immediately after the fall um, is spoken of in the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. It's spoken of in the promise to Abraham that uh, through his offspring, all nations on earth would be blessed. And of course, we benefit from that. It's the grace that brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. I, I could go on. It's, it, I'd love to be able to follow that grace all the way down through the scriptures. But then we'd be here, be here for 20 days at least, not 20 minutes. So I won't. Suffice to say, it's the grace that in the fullness of time brought Jesus to tabernacle with us, to die for our sins, hallelujah, and to rise in glorious resurrection life so that we also, backing up a bit in that chapter in John, as it says, who believe in his name might become children of God. Now, in a way, I guess I could stop there and that would be enough. You know, isn't it enough that he's given us 
this amazing way back to the Father. He's died for our sins. He's given us resurrection life. We could praise him for all eternity. I could stop, but I'm not going to. Uh, There is so much more, of course. I'm instead going to jump ahead, because I like to jump ahead and keep you on your toes, into the future grace, if you like. Now, whether we get to the end of our earthly lives, and I had the privilege of watching both my parents do that and saw the grace of God on their lives as they left this earth. And it might sound a strange thing to do, to say, but it was awesome. It was awesome seeing God at work and knowing that they were in his presence, in his grace, in the fullest possible way. Or whether we are those who will be caught up in his presence. Whichever way it works, we will see his face. We will be with him, we're told, forever. That's Revelation. Where it speaks of the wedding supper of the lamb and of the bride, and that's us. Eternity with the Lord. What's that if it's not amazing grace? That's our future. And it's assured. So we've got the past, we've got the future. So I should have done that the other way around. What about the middle part of our grace timeline, where we are now? Well, that's where I want to put the focus. And so I've called this little talk Hot Grace. Not because the radiators have been on, although, uh, but hopefully you'll see why in a moment. So what about this bit in between? Anyone who's spent much time with me will know that two of my favourite words in the Bible are, but God. Those words, or the, the sense of them, occur so many times in scriptures as we see the grace of God being worked out in the lives of his people, Old Testament and New. I've read them, I've rejoiced in them, I've jumped up and down, metaphorically speaking, and yet it took an embarrassingly long time, or has taken, for me to realise that those words also apply to me, to my life. By way of a, that you will get a testimony this afternoon, by way of a little bit of a testimony, um, I experienced the saving grace of God 35 years ago when I was a 17-year-old A-level student. Lonely, messed up, and to be honest, depressed to the point of suicidal. It was such an apparent cliche, you know, depressed teenage girl gets religion, that my parents were convinced I'd grow out of it. I often joked later that actually they grew into it. But that's another story of God's grace. I had no background growing up in a Christian family. No experience of being part of a church family. No knowledge of who Jesus is or what it means to be a Christian. Nothing. I mean, to be honest, I grew up thinking Jesus was some kind of cosmic fairy tale character and the Bible was an elaborate fiction that I couldn't really understand because in my house it was just full of these and thous and strange words. And, sorry folks, but Christians were weird religious fanatics. Some of us are. (laughs) Despite my ignorance, when I reached my point of greatest need... God in his infinite grace spoke to me, drew me to himself, gave me faith by his Holy Spirit to respond. And his grace brought me to salvation. 
wasn't dramatic like some folk, wasn't spectacular. There were even times when I doubted it. But God has never, ever let go of me. And I was grateful, so grateful to God because I was so close, so close to the edge. And I thought, this is where I fell into a trap. I thought, well, I need to show him how grateful I am. I need to to live and to strive to do all the right things so that he won't think I'm taking it for granted and boot me out again. I had no understanding of the ongoing sanctifying grace of God. When we look at verse 17 of John chapter 1, we can see that it says, the law was given through Moses. So we've got this collection of commandments that shows us what it would be like to be holy like God if we could keep them. But of course we can't. Even though we're born again, we're new creations in Christ Jesus, we still struggle against the old sin nature. And that will be a part of us all the time we're living in these earthly bodies. But, of course, God knows that. And he's not cruel, he's not capricious, he's, he's holy, but he's compassionate. He's gracious. All through the Old Testament, we see people trying with varying degrees of success to keep the law. And all through the Old Testament, we see God's grace. I think people who don't understand, haven't read the Old Testament, tend to think of it as being, you know, God was this way in the Old Testament and now he's this way in the New Testament. No, God is God and God is gracious and God has always been gracious and God always will be gracious. Through the Old Testament, people were no different from us. Maybe I should say from me, maybe you're better than me. But they cycled through this pattern of sin, repentance, obedience, sin, repentance, obedience. And there are times when I do that too. But God's grace is enough. In Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3, we read that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Can't do it. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. That's what leads us to know that we need a saviour. The law is like a mirror that shows us what we're like without God's grace in our lives. And in fact, if we back up to Isaiah, just to use the Old Testament as well, it tells us that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So the more I strain and strive and work to pile up good works, the more I'm actually piling up a whole heap of filthy, horrible, nasty rags. And they are just an offence to our holy God. That's the trap I fell into as a new Christian. And it's the trap that I'm afraid I spent far too many years in, piling up filthy rags and desperately hoping that God would be merciful. The good news is that far from filthy rags, God has himself, Isaiah 61 tells us, clothed us in garments of salvation, robes of his righteousness, John 3, chapter 16, uh, John 3, verse 16, with which we're pretty familiar, 
speaks of God's saving grace. For God so loved the world, we all know it, don't we, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 1.16, from the passage we read earlier, speaks additionally of his sanctifying grace, his ongoing day-by-day grace to transform our lives and make us like him. And so, as we read, my favourite verse in this passage, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace in place of grace already given. When I was reflecting on this verse, when I was putting this together, I was reminded of King David, although he wasn't king then. He went to Ahimelech the priest and asked for food for his men and himself. Ahimelech told him that he didn't have any ordinary bread, but what he did have was some of the consecrated bread, the bread of the presence. This was the bread that was freshly baked each day and set before God as an offering. And each day, the previous day's bread was taken away and fresh hot bread was put in its place. So God had only the best. And that bread that was taken away was given to the priests. It was still fresh enough, good enough to eat, but not completely fresh, not hot. So what was offered to God was, you might say, the bread in place of bread already given. What we receive from God in terms of his sanctifying grace is not what the priests had, second rate, day old, it's good enough. No, it's his fresh grace. It's his hot grace, if you like. It's good for this afternoon with these radiators. It's God continually giving his very best to his children. And it's given at exactly the right time, in exactly the right way, to meet our every need. To enable us by his Holy Spirit to live righteous lives. To sanct- it sanctifies us, transforms us, that we become more like him. It's no longer about stressing and straining and striving, and, but rather recognising that we can't live holy lives in our own strength and that God never intended us to do so. His will and his desire for us is that we come to him for what we need, that we are yoked together with him to live this Christian life. And when we stumble, I don't know about you, but I do stumble quite a bit, We're told, as we've been learning in James recently, that God gives more grace. So we have grace in place of grace already given, and he gives more grace, and he gives more, and he gives more, because he's a good God. We need to be very wary of the temptation to live our own way. I spent far too many years trying to do that as well. And I think it was uh, Roger Price who said that there is nothing on this earth more miserable than a Christian who's out of fellowship with God. And it's so true. I don't know about you, but I know immediately when I've stepped out of fellowship, when I've stepped outside of God's grace, because I just feel 
rotten, absolutely rotten. And we, we kind of often try to tell ourselves, don't we? Well, I, I can't go back because, you know, I've, I've done this and I've done that and it's, it's awful. But that's the very point at which we need to receive more of his grace, to step back into fellowship with him, back into his grace and to learn to walk with him again. We mustn't be like the foolish Galatians, as Paul called them, who, after beginning by means of the spirit, are now trying to finish by means of the flesh. We can't do it. Just a few verses before, at the end of the second chapter of that uh, book, Paul had said that he himself did not set aside the grace of God. This is not a one-time only offer. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ did not die for nothing. Christ died that we might continually receive grace to live in him. Well, if that's what uh, Paul acknowledged, his need of God's grace, then I don't think we can do less. I know I can't. Our calling as the people of God is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. As Peter exhorts us, to grow up in all things into Christ as we walk, as I said earlier, yoked together with him. So how do we do this in practical terms without falling into that trap of stressing and striving and straining and doing it all in our own so-called strength? Well, as I was considering this, I was brought back to Proverbs once again, another familiar passage. But it tells us in chapter three, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So here is holy wisdom that teaches us how to live grace-led, spirit-filled lives. Two key words in that passage are trust and submit. When we continually exercise wholehearted trust in God, even when we don't understand what he's doing, rather than in our own logic and our decision-making, when we continually submit to his will, rather than insisting on our way, then we learn to follow his leading. And we're told, we're promised that he will direct our paths. It's no longer about us striving, straining, stressing about it. It's about looking at him and saying, whatever you want, Lord, I want, I'll follow, I'll submit. Generally speaking, you don't fully trust someone at the first time of meeting. Most of us don't. It takes time to build up a relationship of trust. The more time you spend with that person, the more you build up that relationship. That's true of human relationships, obviously, and it's also true of our relationship with God. Um, Now, maybe I'm a very slow learner, but it's taken me these 35 years to get to the point I'm at in terms of trusting God and walking with him. And I still have a long way to go. But I know in my life that the times when I find myself growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ are the times when I'm serious and committed to spending time not doing, 
trying to please him in what I do, but when I'm committed to spending time talking to him, prayer, hearing him speak to me through reading his word, learning to trust him a little more, just stepping out and doing that thing that he told me, not what I think I should be doing. Walking in the spirit a little more each day. It's those times when I'm asking for and receiving fresh grace, hot grace from him. And equally, I know the times when my growth falters and I'm at risk of stumbling are those times when I allow quality time with him to be squeezed out. It happens to us all sometimes, doesn't it? We have busy lives. And then the flow of his grace in my life is slowed or even blocked. The temptation then, or maybe this is me, is to either keep going through the motions, striving, or to give up and withdraw. Neither of those are good options. Again, God gives more grace. The third option, all we need to do, all we can do, is to receive that grace afresh from him. We're so blessed, aren't we? Grace in place of grace. So that's our kind of, if you like, our vertical relationship, how we receive grace from God because we need it daily, hourly, minutely. Since we're blessed to receive this grace, this love and this grace from God, so then how, as I receive, how do I relate it to other people? How do I relate it to you? Well, the Gospel of Matthew, Peter asks Jesus, this is chapter 18, how many times he must forgive, forgive a brother who sins against him. And you may recall that in reply, Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. A servant who owed his master a vast amount of money. And the master ordered that he and all he had be sold to pay the debt. And when the servant begged him for mercy, the master cancelled the debt and let him go free. You would have thought the servant would have learnt something about grace from his master's actions. Instead, he immediately went out, found his fellow servant who owed him about that much money and started strangling him. Give me my money. Pay me now. And when the man couldn't pay, he had him thrown into jail. He, who had been given so much grace, refused to show grace to his fellow servant. What's the lesson for us? God has poured out so much grace on us. The enormous debt of our sins is forgiven and day by day, he continues to give more grace, grace in place of grace already given. In comparison, anything that our brothers and sisters might do against us, any mistake they may make, any breach of fellowship, if you want to call it that, is like the second servant's debt. It's tiny. We're also all at different points in our Christian walk. Some of us mature, others babies and toddlers and just about everything in between. We're called to accept one another. I love this, the one another's. Have a listen. 
Accept one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Instruct one another. Prefer one another. Carry one another's burdens. Forgive one another as the Lord forgave us. We should be like the master who forgave that great debt. Not like the servant who hadn't learned the meaning of grace. When Paul speaks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. With the grace that God pours out on us, we are called to minister grace to one another in the love of Christ. So let's be, let's continue to be more like a people who are continually thankful to the Lord for his saving grace that has brought us into relationship with him. And let's continue to walk humbly with him. Back to James again, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's be always open to receive that hot grace, that grace in place of grace already given. And as we receive that from him, let's be equally eager to extend grace to others, to minister grace to them in the love of Christ. we pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace that has given and gives so much to us. Thank you that despite all that we are in our own selves, you are transforming us. You are building us into your church, into your bride, into the people that you have purposed for us to be. Father, help us to receive from you that we might be the people you've created us to be. And help us to minister grace to those around us, that we might grow strong as the body of Christ, and that we might reach out to those who yet need to see and to hear about your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.